I decided I was going to wear, I had a, it was a DILF t-shirt. As one does. Dude, I love freedom. That's what it stands for. Oh my God. Are you custom made, custom paid, or you just custom fitted? Welcome to another Fits with the Founder. I'm your founder, Nick. Here with Cassie, as always. Fourth of July was yesterday. That is not why I'm woohooing. Why? Because <laughs> Ricky won the fucking oh. mortgage. Yeah, good for Ricky, but I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an American through and through. American. Yeah, I love Fourth <laughs> of July. It's one of my favorite holidays of all time. It's not really a holiday for me because my husband almost always works, and my night is always making sure my dog doesn't have a panic attack. Yeah, just let the dog. It's a dog. I okay. <laughs> That's not how we treat the dog in my household, but. <laughs> I am a huge, I, I mean, I, if you, I have farm animals, I have all kinds of things. I don't know. Animals are animals to me. Ugh. It's like my, it's like my kid. If they were scared of something, they got to get over it. But I loved it. It was 4th of July. Um, I played a little golf. Nice. I okay. played barefoot. Ooh, okay. It was great weather. It was, it was hot. And I was like at our club, kind of, there's not a lot of rules. Yeah. And so I decided I was going to wear, I had a, it was a DILF t-shirt as one does. Dude, I love freedom. That's what it stands for. Oh my God. <laughs> and it had a huge American eagle on it or a bald eagle on it with uh aviator sunglasses. And it said Delf on the front. And then on the back, it had the eagle with the dude. I love freedom. Amazing. <laughs> and I went barefoot and everybody's like, why are you barefoot? I go, well, one freedom. Yeah. Number two, I've been over swinging lately. And I thought maybe playing barefoot would help me not overswing. And I did hit the ball better. Nice. I, actually now, I don't think I'll do it golf. again because it wasn't extremely comfortable. Now, the grass was nice. Yeah. But then when I had to walk on rocks and things, I was like, uh, <laughs> but I do think it definitely helped my pay, uh, tempo a little bit. Okay. Yeah, Are you going to practice? Well, you don't really practice. I don't really practice. I remember the reason why I thought about it was I remember back when I was playing a lot and like trying to be like good, good. Mm-hmm. I would sometimes hip balls and sandals. And I've seen pros do this Sure, and they'd kind of like, why are you doing that? And they're like, Oh, well, sometimes I overswing. And so sometimes it helps me like, you know, get my tempo back, feel the ground a little bit. I do think it helped, but, um, yeah, they're a little sore today. So I'm not as hillbilly <laughs> as I used to be. And my feet are a little softer than I like them to be. So it was a little interesting, but yeah. So, um, but the big news is we're a little removed because of the holiday. We're not doing this as early in the week. Yeah. Ricky did win. And actually, he did it in really good fashion. You know how I gave him a little bit of a tough time last podcast? Yeah. He had an unbelievable shot to get in the playoff. That was what I wanted to see out of Ricky, and we got it. So there you go. My guy, finally. It was a uh, 1,610-day drought for winning. I mean, keep in mind, he was coming in, like, second or top five in every major. Like, it's not like he hasn't performed well in that time, but it was – been a minute since my guy won. <laughs> it, it threw me off a little bit on Sunday because I didn't see that they went off super early for the storms. Oh, okay. And so like all of a sudden at like 11 o'clock, I can't remember. I checked my score app, which is just like a app that like every sport you can yeah. see what's going on. And I was like, wait, Ricky's already on like 15. Yeah. I'm like, what happened? I was thinking I was going to like maybe tune in later in the afternoon. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, there must have been the storms. They moved it up. I did not hear that. And then I didn't want to watch the replay because I was like, well, at this point, I kind of know. Yeah, you already know what's happened. But I did watch the highlights, obviously. But I was super excited because obviously that's my boy. Yeah. Um, but it was great. And I mean, he beat Morikawa and had went in a playoff. So, you know, some names that we do recognize, which is great. Yeah, and Colin hasn't been doing a whole lot lately. So good to see him back up. 
He's usually one of my favorites for the British Open because he's such a good iron player. Mm -hmm. So maybe he's back in my mix next week when the Open comes on. We'll see. I mean, so this weekend, um, we're skipping around a little bit out on our list, but this weekend is actually in our our backyard. So John Deere Classic. Um, That's in Quad Cities. But there's only, what did it say? There was only uh, nine of the top 50 players. It's like that all the time, though. Is it, though? Because yeah. I've seen Jordan Spieth play there multiple no, times. I've but seen he was one of the nine, But he was one of the nine. Yeah. Like, so basically what they do is, and I love this event and I love where they play. I think it's one of the uh, TPC of Deer Run, which is just outside the it's Quad really Cities. really nice. Really nice golf course. I like going over there and playing. You know, in the Chicagoland area, everything's super expensive. Over there, you can play this beautiful golf course. It'd be a couple, probably almost a $300 golf course right. in Chicago. And you can play like 36 for like 150 bucks. It's like crazy. Great. Yeah, but it's awesome. They used to, and I know that I think they still do it. They used to, what, one of the ways to entice players is they would charter a jet into the quad cities. Oh. And then if you played in the event and you were playing in the open, you could take their plane from the quad cities over to the open. Okay. And I'm guessing they still do it. Although maybe now, maybe not, but they can I, all I, afford their own jets now. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's part of it. But yeah, I mean, it's always been that event that they have a tough time getting people to go to yeah. just because it's the week before they open. Well, it's also in Bufu nowhere. Yeah. Like the only thing you can shop at is a Piggly Wiggly out there. No offense. I love the Quad Cities, but you also- can get some fireworks there because it's Iowa. You can. It is legal. <laughs> um, but no, it's it'll be interesting. I love that golf course. I think it always gets low scores because you can score well there. Um, it'll be interesting to see with the, and plus as a guy that likes the outdoors and farming and things like that, obviously I'm a big John Deere guy. Do you, I was going to say, do you own? I own John Deere stuff. Like yeah. a tractor? I do own a tractor. Oh my God. One what? of my favorite things. It's how I grade my driveway at both of the places I live at. That's. Cause uh, I have gravel driveways in both places. So. I wanted to be shocked by that, but it doesn't actually <laughs> shock me. <laughs> I, and there's nothing more. And it, what's funny is, I don't know, it was like a week or two ago, I was doing something with my tractor. I took a picture of it and sent it to a group of friends. And this tractor's uh, at this point, four years old. And I still have the plastic on the yellow seat. Oh my God. That was there from when I bought it. And everybody's like, why don't you take the plastic off? I'm like, the yellow John Deere seat. I want perfect. Yeah. I want it to look. Yeah. They're pristine. like, do you cover your couch like that? I'm like, no, but a couch is significantly less money than my tractor. I used to keep the <laughs> film on like the microwave to keep that looking good. Yeah. I'm one of those people. So whatever. Um, what else? So we had the U S senior open, which in a surprise to no one, Bernard Langer won. Um, and that, was up, that was here too. Well, kind of Wisconsin. It was in the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. The only reason this really is big news aside from the fact that it was the U S senior open is, um, Bernard beat his own record as the oldest winner. And he tied the champions to a record now that he's got 46 wins on the tour. My dude is unstoppable. You know, back in what was it? The late nineties, early two thousands, Hale Irwin went on a tear and yeah. like won everything. And at the time, we were all like, holy cow, like this guy is unbeatable. Bernard Langer took that, dumped on it and went <laughs> like, you know, a million times farther. And, you know, listen, it's it's interesting to me because he already like Hale Irwin had a good pre like PGA, like a good career, but not like a great career. And then he made a ton of money on the senior tour. Sure. Bernard Langer had a really good career. And before, he's and now, And then a lot of times the motivation to me, I think, lacks like. Do I really want to travel the world? Do I really, do I need to make more money? Do I need to do all this stuff? I think Bernard, well, I kind of, I've met him a couple of times and he is a club junkie to the nth degree. When you talk about tweaking golf clubs, specifically putters and stuff like that, he is as about a hardcore as it gets. Really? And so I think he's just one of those true lovers of the game and he does it for that reason more than anything. 
he's just a grinder and lover of it and tweaker and tinker and all that. And so it's interesting. I mean, he's going to, I mean, 65, but he's in good enough shape. He'll probably play into his 70s. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Um, and then on the live side of things, um, Taylor Gooch won his third live event this season at Valderrama. Um, right now, I mean, I just don't care. But, he but Taylor, I mean, okay, so this guy, I mean, he, he did okay on the PGA Tour. I, yeah. think, I think he had like one win maybe or something or two. I have to look it something up. Something like that. Um, but now all of a sudden has won three events on the live tour, made more money, probably making 10 years on the PGA 100%. Tour. 100%. And uh, good for him. Now, if, if you're Bryson DeChambeau, who got spanked on yeah, <laughs> one right. shot scenario. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you're probably not as happy because I think Bryson finally was like, well, I'm going to finally win a tournament again. Just kidding. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to um, let Taylor Gooch win another one. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Good for you, Taylor. Wait, so where he, were they? They were in Spain or something? Valderrama. Yeah. Valderrama. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he is. Again, early- I never watched these things. I kind of wanted to because Valderrama is kind of a cool golf course and all that. But I just. The timing and just everything. That one was hard to watch um, just in general. Was it on the CW? It would have been time change. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it was hard to watch because of the time change was different. Um, they had the reruns of Judge Judy or whatever. I, as one does in yeah. like Vampire Diaries and <laughs> yeah. Charmed. Whatever and, else yeah. is on CW. I mean, I'm not going to hate on like Charmed and stuff because I enjoy those shows. But no, the time change made it difficult. He's the early favorite right now for the $18 million individual points title, which Dustin Johnson won last year. So like, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe Taylor Gooch is about Still to have the best Still seems like there's a lot like, of confusion about what's going to happen with Liv and the PGA Tour. Well, because every time they do an interview, like they do an interview and they're like, oh, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. And then the PGA Tour was like, that's not true. Yeah, I don't know. It's very confusing because I did see some of the whatever highlights and stuff coming around it and interviews and whatever. And I still feel like every interview I see, I get a different answer from every person. I we'll find out. So this season's going to stay what it is regardless because they'd already had everything planned and tickets sold. So like, we'll see what happens in 2024. And then, so the other, only other real news that we had this week. So poor Lexi Thompson, my girl, she's I hadn't girl. seen this until oh, you sent it over. Oh boy. Over. Oh no. Serenity now. Man down. It's not so serene. It's face down on the floor. <laughs> Nick has a sign that says serenity now that I just knocked off the desk. Are you a Seinfeld fan? I'm not. You didn't even know that I'm, was a Seinfeld fan? I, I assumed because I know you like Seinfeld, but. Who's, uh, um, oh. I'm not going to be able to help Who's you. Who's a Zoolander actor? Oh, Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller's dad. He's the father. Something in, Stiller. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know his name. He, well, he's been around way long. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been around. He's, been, he's a comedian as well. Yeah. And he was the dad in Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. And whenever he got pissed, he goes, Serenity now. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what the sign it's is. It's the first thing you over. see when you walk into Nick's office. This yeah. is sign yelling at you. Serenity yeah. now. And if you're a Seinfeld fan, you'll love you it. You get it. <laughs> and Seinfeld is one of my favorite shows of all time. It's probably my favorite show of all time. That's fair. Friends is mine. It's usually one of the other we've talked about. Well, that about was that. about the same, yeah. About the same era, and I like friends, too. Love friends. Um, So back to the serenity of it. Um, So Lexi's not had some good luck. She's our girl. Um, But just listen to this run of bad luck that this girl has had at majors, okay? In 2017, um, at the A&A Inspirational, she, like, viewers called in. I don't know if you remember this. Viewers called in, and she received a four-shot penalty during the final round. So she then eventually lost a play. Like, she would have won, but she was assessed a penalty because of viewers, which bogus, y'all. And then in 2021, she blew a five-shot lead. And then last year, she blew a two-shot shot lead. And then she was fine for slow play. That's all before we even get to this year. Right. So she missed the cut at the Chevron classic, which she still did like it, whatever it is, what it is. Um, and then she had a 47th place, uh, finish at last week's women's PGA. 
that sucks as it is. But then she she got delayed at the airport trying to get home for tons of hours, like multiple hours, three canceled flights and ended up having to drive home with her dog for 16 and a half hours. I'm surprised like somebody she, you know, in the, in the circle she runs in, somebody couldn't offer up a, a plane, yeah. right? And her poor dog. I mean, I get that the LPGA doesn't have the resources that the PGA does and get in private planes. But she's like buddies like with like Bryson. And I know there's, I, I feel like she runs in enough circles. She should have had somebody, but maybe she just didn't want to ask. Either. Maybe also yeah. Cobra Puma. Where the hell were you guys? Like letting your girl. Oh, I, don't, I, don't know like Co- this. I don't know if Cobra Puma has jet money. They, I mean, they have Bryson and Lexi and all that money. Yeah, but, but they're <laughs> not they're not paying for their planes. Most of the time, like these people don't have their own planes. Yeah. Either their management group has planes that they allow their people to use. Yeah. Some of them have their own like timeshare, but mm-hmm. most of them aren't paying for I mean, like a Bryson D. Shambo, I guarantee we ain't paying for his own timeshare. His his whoever he works with has like a timeshare deal and they let him use a certain amount of hours. Probably. Yeah. I just I felt awful for her and her dog, her her poor little baby Leo. Um, but you know, hopefully she bounces back and we see some road good stuff. trip. It was a hell of a road trip for her. Honestly, though, uh, Ricky Fowler was the big news, but there really isn't much to talk about with that. So there wasn't a ton else going on this week because we're, we're getting into the John Deere and then we're getting into the last major of the season. So it's been kind yeah, of the slow. open. Yeah. Are you excited? Is that at Royal, Royal Liverpool? Yeah. You excited? I love the British open. Yeah. I love the whole week. I can wake up early and work out and watch golf. That's Yeah. Awesome. That's pretty perfect. Actually. actually, to be honest with you, I'd prefer if they, I watch way more golf if that were the case all the time. Yeah. Just on early in the morning. Yeah. I can't like weekends are tough with three kids and everything sure. going on. So it's like if I could watch it early, way better. Yeah. Way before that. the family wakes up. I can I can watch. Maybe they should start doing that. <laughs> I'm excited to see how it goes. Um, what about so we have some club champion news and demos. Let's start with demos. Okay, so demos, we got some new stuff. Graphite Design, uh, we got their new ADXC line in the stores. Um, driver shafts and fairway shafts. So if you're a Graphite Design fan, another uh, great addition there. Uh, iron shaft-wise, Hacker launched some new I-Series Graphite and then some uh, a newer kind of player's Graphite iron shaft called the TZ that are more than the heavyweights of like 95, 105, 115. So, you know, Graphite shafts, I've always said, don't sleep on them. Yeah. Okay. That's where the future is, is graphite golf shafts, because there's just so much more you can do to it as a design functionality and quality wise than you can with steel. Steel's just steel and it's nothing wrong with it. It's just very just one dimensional in a way. I say that very generalized. There's some things you can do, but graphite, on the other hand, is very dynamic. You can make it do all kinds of things, high, low, spend more, spend less. And then from a quality standpoint, just in the production uh, side of it, just so much more consistency. If people that think it's not more consistent, you can actually go lower in torque, tighter, meaning tighter and stiffer mm-hmm. with graphite than you can with steel. And people that their brain just struggles with that. But I mean, they build planes. They build all kinds of like things that can't be destructed with graphite because it's so resilient. Sure. And so I tell people all the time, don't sleep on it. So we got more great options than that coming in. Finally, these have been out for a little while, but they had a tough time uh, in production. So they're just getting into our stores, which is the Mizuno S23 wedges. Again, that's more of their everyday player wedge. They'll have a newer wedge coming out soon. But for their more player style, their T style, they call it. But their S styles are in stores. And that comes in a uh, two colors, a satin chrome and a uh, copper cobalt. Putters wise, um, I think a lot of people know, but maybe not. LA Golf, which makes golf shafts and some golf balls now. 
they bought sick putters, mm-hmm. which, you know, has a roll, uh, dynamic roll face, whatever they call it. <laughs> and basically different loft on different parts of the face, which will be interesting for our conversation with our guest here in a yes. minute, because he was actually probably more the godfather of roll face technology than any person on this planet. Yet sick kind of took it to a different level and put a different twist on it. But anyway, LA golf ended up buying them, brought them in house under the LA golf brand, took all their technology patents and are putting it under the LA golf brand and many and, and blending the two things. So they're basically milled carbon putters. Okay. With the sick face yep. or technology. And so it's, it's really unique. They're unique looking, they're unique feeling, they're unique in all kinds of worlds. So it's, this is their first launch of it. They're only launching two models currently at the moment, the Bel Air and the Malibu but they're going to have, I think it's four or five different models. Eventually okay. they're just, this is different construction. I've never seen anything like it. Like I said, they take a piece of uh, a block of forged graphite. So it's just a bunch of graphite sheets that they pack together real tight. They mill it just like they would mill anything else. Now they do take some metal, some tungsten to put on edges of it to mm-hmm. kind of put weight to it. And then they did. It's going to be an interesting putter and they just hit the store. So, okay. I'll have to Something run different. up front. I actually, so I knew it was coming, but I haven't seen them. So I'm going to have to run up front and try. I've, so I have not hit a putt with one yet. Okay. All right. But I've seen them. I've had them in my hands. I've played around with them. I get the concept, but I have not gone over there and actually putted with one yet. It's rare for you to say that you have never seen anything like it. No, there isn't. There's, I mean, I, I, I they came out with a concept putter what was it? Two years ago mm-hmm. that they tried to sell for 1600 bucks and it was a milled um, graphite putter, but you could definitely tell that they hadn't gotten it figured out yet. Yeah. And it actually felt pretty good. It just looked hideous. Oh, it's, they had to make it big because they hadn't figured out how to make the weighting because graphite's lighter, right? Yep. So how do we make the weighting work, but then use graphite and you know, it definitely has a very unique feel. I liked it. I think they've gotten it all figured out now how to put some metal in there and do it. it it's cool. I think it's worth a look. Nice. They okay. definitely turn your head when you look at them because when you uh, mill the graphite, it kind of comes out like, and maybe some people know what this means and some don't, Damascus. Okay. You ever heard the word Damascus? I have. Yeah, but yes. I mean. So it's yeah. like, a, it looks like it's very marbled. Mm-hmm. And so um, it has a very marbled domestic, domestic, oh, now I'm going <laughs> to. Um, Damascus look to it and it's very cool and unique. Okay. So check them out. And I think event, you know, we'll be able to do some custom painting to it too, but they're going to do some custom stuff to it down the road. I think it's a unique thing and it'll only evolve and get better, but the new Bel Air Malibu. So check those out. That's our demos for the moment. And to be honest with you, again, I know a lot of people are going to ask us, when are you going to get those new Titleist demos? (laughs) Uh, The plan is to get them uh, towards the back half of, um, July. Okay. Although a few weeks from I'm now. really not supposed to say that because I believe the title is actual. What they're telling us we can actually fit for them is like August 7th. Oh no. We'll see if we stick to that. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, the technical no. first fitting day title is, if you call Titleist would tell you, is like, I think it's August the 7th. First week or of August, yep. But I will be letting you guys know if we happen to sneak something in a little early. Yeah. Um, other news. So this actually today, today we opened a new store in Ridgeland. Ridgeland. Yeah. M.I. Crooked letter, crooked letter, I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, humpback, humpback guy. <laughs> that's uh, if, for you guys that don't know in Southern Illinois, that's how you would say Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to this area of Mississippi? So funny story. When I was looking to go to college, I, I had been working at what was formerly known as EJL Custom Golf, yeah. right? Me and this guy ever. And I, I don't know. We never thought it was anything more than just a fun little thing. 
And so I was going to go off and be a, get my PGA license and be a PGA professional and work at a green grass. And that's really what I thought I was going to do with my life. So I went the, at the time, the two best programs were fair state of Michigan okay. in big rapids, Michigan, just North of grand rapids and Mississippi state. Okay. So me, my mother and grandmother took a voyage down there to visit Mississippi state. That's not close to here, but I did visit this area. You visit, yes. Okay, gotcha. I like Mississippi. It is a different kind of time warp. Yeah. Um, it's a different kind of everything, but it is a huge golf. There's a ton of golf down there that people don't even know exists. Yeah. Um, what's the one? Old Waverly. Yeah, Old Waverly. There's a bunch of them, but there's a bunch of great golf courses down there. It's just it doesn't get a lot of love, but there's a ton of golf. I, I think it's a good a good place to be. It'll be fun. All right, cool. So if you're in the Ridgeland, Mississippi area, um, we're going to do the normal. Actually, this is the first store where we're changing our new store opening. So usually it's 50% off with the purchase of 500 or more. This time around and moving forward for our new stores, we're going to do our $100 full bag offer. So what that is is a $100 full bag, which you're saving $300 on it um, when you purchase a club or $50 for any other fitting type. So if you just want a driver fitting, um, just want an iron fitting, it'd be $50 for any of those fit types so long as you purchase one club. So it's actually the first store that we're doing that with. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah. And we got, uh, there'll be, we got a lot of stores for the second half of this year. I just had a call. I mean, a shitload of stores. I just had a call with our real estate team today as of recording. And he added four new stores to 2023 that I wasn't like, I didn't know some of these markets were coming. Yeah. There's (laughs) what? So we got one more left on this, what technically the first half. And then it's 12. Something like that. Second half. We had, so, cause we bumped a couple from, so like Ridgeland and South Lake, Texas, those are two that were supposed to hit in technically Q2. So they've been bumped, but now Q, Q's three and four are outrageous. Yeah. I think it's 12. I, I'm on a weekly Tuesday call about it, but we didn't have it yesterday cause the holiday, but I believe it's at 12. Oh my God. It's so much. All right. So basically yeah. every time we talk to you guys, we'll have a new store to talk about. Yeah. Um, and then we also, so as of listening, so as of this week, um, this is the 4th of July week. Next week is going to be Prime Day. For those of you who are familiar with Amazon Prime Day, obviously Club Champion is not on Amazon Prime. Um, but because of the fact that everybody's really excited about that event, we're going to kind of do a little flash sale sneak peek. Nobody knows unless you're listening to the podcast. You guys are the first ones to know. Um, we're going to be doing a different kind of offer. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's not a fitting discount. It may or may not be on the clubs. So get excited. Sweet. Yes. Prime day. Prime day. We're, I don't know. We're not calling it that cause we're not on Amazon, but yeah. it's the same general vibe. Yeah, right? We're just trying to ride the wave. It's something like that. Yeah. But I feel like it's also like it's perfect season. Like it's heating up summer. Everybody wants to kind of get well, in. You know, you, you know where your game's at right now. Maybe it's time to make a little, a couple tweaks till the end of the year. So you yeah. can really, uh, you know. Perfect time for a driver fitting. Let's put it that way. Yep. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with Garen Reif, the CEO and chief designer of Even Roll Golf. Okay. Welcome back to the pod. We're here with special guest, Garen Reif, CEO and chief designer, Even Roll Putters. I've known Garen for a long time and he's been in the industry for a long time designing putters. I'll say 25 years could be longer, but he's got a great past in the putter world of golf. And so Garen, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. And by the way, congratulations on uh, your success since you and I first met back in 2016. Yeah. You guys have gone, you guys have gone uh, meteoric. I mean, it's just awesome to see. Yeah. Well, actually, I funny part is we'll get to this a little bit as I ask you the first question here. 
but I carried Rife putter. So Club Champion was born out of EJL Custom Golf, which was my first business that I started in 97, 98 ish, right there at the turn. It sure. was kind of a hobby business, but we carried Rife putter. So, you know, with that, I feel like I've known you longer than the first time I met you. But long story short, is give the listeners a little bit about you. Like they want, I want to hear the background, your path, not only the even, you know, just not even roles path, but Garen Rife's paths in the golf industry. Well, actually, it wasn't in the golf industry. It kind of led into the golf industry by accident. You, you're familiar with uh, Leo Burnett Advertising Agency in Chicago? Yep. I, I started there as an art director and eventually became a copywriter. And if you know anything about Burnett, it was a lot about presentation. And, and, um, and back in those days, we... We didn't have computers. We had to, uh, we, but typography was important and graphic design uh, was something we all noodled over. And, and so that's kind of my foundation, which actually helped me a lot in, in, our, in the business here. Because, you know, when you're, when you're a small company, you have to wear a lot of hats. And so I was able to give us a little bit more of a, you know, a, a big boy look, uh, if you will, in terms of just... Uh, the, the copy, the concepts, the typography, the advertising, all that stuff has to beautifully go together. And um, you don't necessarily know it's right, but you definitely know if it's wrong. <laughs> sort of the way these things work. Yeah. So, uh, so Lear Burnett, uh, I left there and went to Florida. And uh, about two years after I was in Florida, I had an ad, ad firm down there, did Disney's work. And then I, uh, I did a training thing called the Ledbetter putting system. So that's where I first got into golf. And because of that, David had all those stellar players back then, and, you know, Nick Price, and Nick Faldo, and oh gosh, a whole bunch. But uh, anyway, I got out on tour with him and started looking at putters. And, and uh, I think Zebra was a, the big one that Nick Price had. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of mallets and their blades, but uh, uh, I looked around and I said, you know, there's just no, you you gotta you gotta reach down and pick up the ball uh, for if you if you're putting with a mallet you couldn't scoop it up. I mean this is how deep it <laughs> this is how deep I was right. You know uh, so I invented the first cavity mallet, did a patent on it, and I have it here actually. I could show you. We could put it in a picture later. But this is the I made this handmade this thing out of. Uh, you know, if you can see that. Wow. Yeah. Look, I didn't even know this. That's interesting. It kind of looks like an old a Rossi before there was a Rossi. It's got Way like a spoon. Is, There's like a spoon on the back of it. This is 1992. Yeah. So, and that's made of zinc. And I actually sanded and hand did all this. Uh, but as you see, I mean, it's it's pretty crude looking. It's a, a little bit of a beast, but uh, uh, it was made of zinc. I did it in sand casting and, and then just, just sanded. And I actually had bloody fingers, so I can say that I actually, you know, did it in <laughs> shed a little blood but uh anyway it's uh yeah so then so then i put and then this was uh, well it was originally blue and and um and, and i called it true blue but then i put grooves on the face because what happened not only was it great for scooping up the ball that was the original purpose but this created bottom weighting and this created heel and toe weighting so that created a lift i didn't even know that putters had loft on them what year was this? This is 1991, 92. Okay. So put the loft down. As you can see, these are, it was called rolled etched is what I called it, but these are the original grooves. And I only had them up to there. And, and I got a machine shop to shave the face and put them in there. And so what happened is that because of that, 
that upward lift um, of the bottom weighting, I was reducing the loft, so I wanted something to grip the ball. So I, I put some these little these little things here, which would, would would grip the ball at four miles an hour. I mean, uh, putting's a slow science. So this was the kind of the logic of of grooves, where I went from the cavity mallet right into doing grooves, and I did and I so I did this. This putter is actually from 1994. And then in 1994, I worked on the patent, got the patent in 1996. And, and then uh, at the same time, oddly enough, Harold Swash uh, in 1996 had the, um, the circular grooves on the, um, uh, what was that company called? Yes, 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 butters. No, before yes, it was, oh. it was starting with a P. Anyway, that, that was just sort of the beginning of grooves and, and I continued to make these ugly putters out of by hand for a while and uh, had the Leadbetter putting system, which was part of another project that I was working on. And and so I, I kind of got roped into golf. You know, I was kind of in, in I was in up to my neck because I had the I, I, I was paid doing patents. So I did a patent on the cavity mallet. I did a patent on the grooves and I had another patent on the grooves. And so by mid to late 90s i was in all the way with the grooves and, and my own little design and and i licensed it to spalding now wait garen were you a golfer yourself or did the did your marketing work take you into golf i had a design firm i had i made i made um, um, gifts and i went to asia over to taiwan and china to get them made and i had a gift company which I had packaging and all kinds of fun little projects, but it got me, I was doing stuff in Asia. So I was able to kind of take that eventually and turn it into my production of stuff. But that, that was a products company that I had going on at the same time, but golf was just kind of always there. And I was, I kept, I kept in the business and eventually the, the grooves, um, they were licensed by Spalding uh, out of Chicopee, Massachusetts. And so they did the original designs. They were out of copper and they weren't great. But then in, 19, in 1999, Callaway bought um, uh, Spalding and, you know, to get their ball technology. And so along with that, uh, I had a royalty agreement with, um, uh, with Spalding to license my grooves and Callaway came back. So we don't, we don't need this. We have our, you know, our, they have the white insert stranometer stuff. So they didn't need my technology. So uh, I let them out of the royalty thing and, and, uh, and they, and I did my own deal. And in 2000, that's when I really did my first machined putters. And I did them out here uh, at Western CNC, uh, the same place that Scotty Cameron was doing his stuff with Danny Ashcraft out here. Um, it didn't take more than a couple of years for Scotty to kick me out. Um, he said, you know, I, don't, I mean, I, and I don't blame him. I mean, you, you don't want somebody watching your stuff being made from the beginning before it's the public season. So anyway, uh, that's kind of where I was in, uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. And I, um, uh, so from that point on, I had my own company that was getting of Garen Reif design uh, putters. And then, and then I did rife butter, just simplified it to rife butters and then did, um, and I noticed one of your questions for me was what's my favorite putter, uh, that I've designed. Well, it, it was, it has to be the two bar, which. Oh, I forgot about the two bar. <laughs> See, I still think about an old blade 
I had an old black blade that just said Rife on the back with the roll face technology. I think that's what she called it. Yep. Um, yep. She'll probably talk about, but I forgot about the two bars. Yeah. Keep it's going. literally the putter. When you look up Garen's name online, the, the Google results will immediately tell you about two bar immediately. Well, it, you know, if you remember right about then, um, Odyssey uh, had done the the two two ball putter, the most successful putter in history uh, in terms of just raw sales. So I was going, and it was visible on TV. And I'm coming from the ad world. I I'm all about visible on TV uh, stuff. I understand. And so I did something called the two bar putter, which was two bars which were visible on TV, and it sounded like two ball. Uh, except the two bar had uh, heel toe weights as aluminum body had two bars in the back that came out and there were weights that could be interchanged in the back of the bars. And it had a hosel that could be adjusted for loft and lives, a center shaft and hosel. And so, I mean, it was, we did an infomercial. That's what you did back then. You didn't have social media, but, uh, but the infomercial, we did that to, uh, uh, to really generated sales, uh, and retail because everybody was back then retailers didn't want you to go direct to the consumer, but they soon found out that people started walking in their store saying, Hey, where's that two bar putter? And so, we started getting retailers calling us up and it exploded our business into retail. And that's when they found out, Hey, wait a minute, infomercials or in, in today's world, social media, it's good for retail because people, as it turned out, people want it, want to feel, hear, touch, roll. They want to experience the product. Uh, in that respect, uh, it drove people to retail. So it was really good. Uh, for retail. And so we expanded into about, we had 3,000 3, retailers. I was one of them. Yeah. So there you EJL, go. EJL Custom Golf. I built, a, I fit and built a bunch of two bar butters. Well, there you go. And it had that little fitting tool, remember, that clamped yep. over the face. And yep. so for Loft and Lie. And uh, yeah, because you could, Cassie, just so you know, like back then, not as many people bet putters. In fact, it was very rare. So like an EJL or what was turned into club champion, you know, we were already doing that. So we could bend a lot of putters, but most places couldn't bend putters. What you could do with the two bar putter is he had a, a jig you put on there and you would step on it with your foot basically. And you'd sit there and mold it with your foot in hand because it was on an aluminum nub that was easily bent. Well, I shouldn't say easily, but bendable. So well, it had rings on it so that it helped it bend a little easier. Right. I forgot until we just started talking. I totally <laughs> had like an epiphany of my past there. Like, a, tw I mean, shit, what was that gear? It was what year was those? It started in 2002. Yeah. And and we that was the foundation of Rife Putters all the way to 2010 when it was when the company was bought. But, you know, we went through the 2008 disaster like everybody else. But. But the two bar, we focused on the Champions Tour, if you remember. We had about half the guys out there, and that was our infomercial was based on that. And we sold about a half a million of, of those. Pretty and it was all they were all milled. Milled in China and um in Taiwan and China. And the grooves ran across the face, the straight grooves, and had the weights in the heel until you remember. So anyway, that was a that was probably like Cassandra just said, that's I still see those around and, and people. Oh yeah, the two bar. 
Uh, anyway, uh, so we've gotten up. We probably wandered from the whole thing, but no, no, we can wander okay, so, as far as you want. Yeah, let's let's jump forward. So, 2010, that that putter company, you sell it, and then what's next for Garen? Well, I, I temporarily did um, Garen Design using my first name because my last name went with the went with the purchase. So, I, I was a, I was a man without a last name. <laughs> so I, I had a choice: go into modeling in Hollywood. You know, have have a, have one name, uh, or or you know, get to work. Anyway, I did a, I did that temporarily. Did the um, the Garin design had some wavy grooves, and it was kind of a you know anti dimple um, thing. But at, at that time, there were some efforts to actually starting with Bobby Grace back in two thousand and five to make the ball go the same distance on center and off center hits. So I think Ping was doing it too. They were using the Rife grooves, closely spaced grooves, but making them deeper in the middle, even though the Rife thing was patented. I looked at that and go, you know, wait a minute. It's not about the depth of the grooves. It's about the contact surface. Because I'll take you back to when I first went out with my stuff from the early days of milling after Spalding. I went out on tour and I was letting players try my putter and all, almost all of them made the same comment. I'm not getting the ball to the hole. Well, they were comparing that to the Odyssey kind of that springy uh, polymer stuff and, uh, and a lot of, and, and, and putters that were just milled straight milled face, but my putters were a little softer. Now uh, I didn't really know what that was all about. You know, I basically told them to hit it harder and that of course didn't go <laughs> really well. <laughs> But but uh, I realized that when you when you do the, the, the technology correctly, you have to have the, the, the land area. This is the patent has to be less than the groove area because that's to be sharp enough to grip a ball. So basically, only 25 percent of the contact surface was touching the ball. The other 75 percent was grooves. So that that slowed down the hit. And so. In 2011, when uh, I started seeing this sort of this push towards ball speed, I said, I know what to do. I just need to take my grooves and I make them wider in the middle and really small, small, really small land area in the middle, but wider grooves. And then as you go from the center out, increase the contact surface. So it's kind of a parabolic, right? So there's the groove. And then the land area is real, real small in the middle. It gets wider as it goes out. You can just get this off the website. And what that does is that more contact surface is away from the sweet spot. So as, the, as you hit a ball off center, as you know, uh, it doesn't go as far because the center mass of the putter is now not, not behind the center mass of the ball. So the further the ball gets out, the less energy gets put into the into the ball, and it goes it goes outward, off the face. So a toe hit will go out the toward the toward the toe, uh, and a heel hit will go out toward the heel, and they'll kind of open up. As a result, on a common putter, if you if you just and I did this with robot stuff. If you hit the ball in the center with a robot magnet release, everything as accurate as you can get it, and then you move it a half inch off center to heel and toe, you end up with, with the center ball, let's say 20 feet, and you have the, the toe hit about four to six inches uh, away from the center to the outside and about eight to, eight to nine inches short. And then the heel is about the same opposite on the heel side. 
So the balls just go, it, it, they kind of go out and not as far, and the center one goes the farthest. Every putter does that. Even even the Rife groove putters, they all do it because it's just off-center hits. So so I started testing the, these grooves and are these um, – uh, the land, this land configuration, and I got it to where the ball would go the same distance most of the time. I mean, you, you can always hit a dimple or or whatever. There's there's many things that come into it, but but generally the balls all went the same distance. And what was really fun, this is the serendipity thing that happened, just like the cavity mallet. The balls went in the early testing. I I really did. Uh, a much more parabolic thing. So it was, it went from very small to a lot of land real fast, but there was a V shape to the groove. So when the ball hit that V shape, it went, it, it, it would gear the ball inward, just simple physics. Well, the balls were not only were they not going out, they were the, the heel, the toe ball was crossing the middle and the heel ball was crossing the middle. So, I backed them off. I said, oh, my goodness. I said, those things are getting, that V is causing, is directing the ball. So when I backed it off, I got them to go the same distance, and they went straight. So that, and some testing, I have an organic sort of, you can see it on the website, but the balls ended up touching each other at 20 feet instead of being spread apart. So hence is the name Even Roll. That was the way I named it. This is my ad guy thing. And I and then because I was designer, the E, the back of the E is the putter, and the three, the three even bars for to, to form the E are the even roll. And so that's the, the logo is the technology and the name. That's bringing all the pieces of of you know my background together. But the 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 technology, I mean, it it really did work, and it was and it created a wonderful feel because off center hits need to feel a little stronger, so they felt stronger. Center hits felt soft. Everything went the same distance, and so and, and so that's my story, Nick. And I'm sticking to it. Okay, just <laughs> no, so it's you. a great story, and I got two things. <laughs> it's a, one, one is I still I meant it this way too. I take it you've been a lifelong golfer yourself. Yes. Five years old. Yep. So you've been a passionate golfer. So you kind of, not only was it that you just found golf, you were going to find golf one way or another probably too, because you could use your skills. Now, second thing is before we push record, because it kind of bleeds perfect segue into it. So you make this even roll brand and you make these putters and, you know, I'm uh, 2016. You come visit me to tell me about, uh, you know, your technology and your putters. Tell the story that you told us before we pushed record on, you know, what really took off and got the brand going. Well, it was, it, it's really tied to, I'm talking a minute before you and I met. I mean, right in your parking lot out in front of, out in front of your place in Chicago there. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's long gone by now, but anyway, um, I had just come from a PGA Tour Superstar. I was in my car. I got to the, I got to your place. And right when I pulled in, I got a call from uh, Adam Berkeley, known as Adam Beach, um, but Adam Berkeley from uh, My Golf Spy. He, it was the beginning of their business too. He was, you know, he was in the early stages of uh, making everybody mad at him in the industry. And uh, because he was trying to be truthful about results and everything. And so they had a contest uh, that they did every year at that point. They had, it was the most wanted blow and the most wanted mallet. But we were too late for that. When I, by the time we put something together, it was like May or June. And he said, I'll tell you what, 
Garen. How about we take the four putters that you've done, the ones I showed you, and we test them against the, the winners of the most wanted blade and the most wanted mallet for 2016. I think that was a pink catch was the mallet. And then the other was the, it was an Odyssey answer style blade, blade type thing for the blade. And so they, they asked me if we wanted to run the test. And I got to my partner and I said, I don't know, I don't know if we want to do this. This could either be really bad or really good. But we said, what the heck? We can always tell them not to run it <laughs> if it if we if we, if we don't do well. So anyway, um, they ran the test with some of the same testers. They were the same people that were involved in the test were still around. So they ran the test and and I'm sitting in the car before coming in to see you. And he said, he said, Well, we did the test, and he went on about all the protocol and stuff like that. And he finally told me, he said, and you placed first, second, and fourth. And I went, are you kidding me? I said, that's awesome. He says, you want us to run it? I said, hell no. I mean, we, we don't have any product. You know, we're, I mean, we're just in the middle of some early production and I've got to, we've got to get ourselves loaded for bear and get packed, get ready for this. That was August, August 12th. It was uh, in 2016. And so I showed you, I got back and we just hit the ground running, getting product ready and then we launched. They they launched the um, the the results on my golf spy on September twelfth, my birthday. And sure enough, within five minutes, our server shut down. We got three more servers up and running, got our capacity up, and then and then we just started selling selling putters as fast as we could make them. We were lining the walls with. And this is all. And this is all direct sale. This is all direct, you know, full retail. It put a, a big fat foundation for the next three months. We sold um, about 5,000, 6,000 putters. Wow. And now we're talking fall, right? That's the downside of our season. Yeah, I was going to say, not the time of year you sell many, well, many anything in golf. No, that's right. <laughs> Especially, you know, these days. And, uh, but now all of a sudden we got, we're off to the races and we can't make stuff fast enough. And that was the beginning. And it never, we never looked back. We, we, we never had any debt. We never had, we just made money and we, we built the company and we grew exponentially. Uh, we doubled in size pretty much every year. And it was, uh, so it was, it was just, it was just awesome. But that was the beginning of when I, and that's when I came in, I think I even told you the story. I said, I just found out that, yep. that we got first, second, third, and fourth. And um, anyway, so that was the power of, of social media in its early days. Okay, so let's get into a little bit more about the putters, though. So, like, you know, I think one of the unique things is the first couple of putters were pretty much, you know, kind of models you would think you would have when you're starting a putter company, too. You had your own twist on them and whatever. But since then, even roll has really developed into, you know, you got your classic kind of shapes, but then in mallets, blades and mallets. But then you have, like, interesting stuff like V-Series and the Zero. Like, what is your kind of, like, design philosophy outside of the grooves, which we've heard about? And that's really the biggest part of it. But what about shapes? Yeah, so our our whole basic theme, just to go back on the groove thing, is nothing rolls like an even roll. So that's, and we can honestly say that, and that's our foundation. The other stuff, the the drop-in hosels, I mean, I've done hosels. I've seen companies do it for years. That's not new. It's just that I did it in a way that it allowed us to take our classic models and give them some different hosels. As you know, when you're machining stuff, 
to machine a big mallet and put a hosel on it, you have to do a block of steel like that. Or you have to do you have to spin weld a section here or get a or get a forging made. And and it's uh, and that's a commitment to high volume. So one of the things that we did is we were able to take the putters that we have and add a hosel. And as it turns out, it's both a production decision to make it to to offer more more variety, but it also allows us because we were really getting into fitting. We were really, you know, we we fit people just like you guys. So the hosel being in the heel makes the toe hang a lot more. You know, people don't understand what face balancing and toe hang is. Basically, it's the amount of steel on one side of the shaft versus the other. When you look down the shaft, there's either this much steel or, or this much steel. So if it's if it's a face balance, the steel is the same on both sides, and therefore the face points straight up. If it if the hosel's in the heel, you got all this weight over here, so it toes down. And so, but that also affects the way the putter rotates during the putting stroke, and and it, and it affects. Uh, some people like to have a little bit of a opening close, and some people want to feel like they're keeping the putter square longer. Well, if there's less toe toe weight and and toe surface beyond the shaft towards the toe, then there's not much opening and closing. So it gives the impression that while the shaft is always traveling on the same plane, the putter head doesn't open and close as much and therefore stays square a little longer. It's face balanced. And some people want to help that along with their stroke. But some people just want to hit a golf shot, you know, with the putt. Putting, putting is very personal. So the hosel thing started to started to gain some popularity for us and people could come in and get fitted and go, can I try that? The toe hang? Sure. Pop it out, put the other one in. Or can I do face balance? Sure. Pop it out. The same putter. And they would go and their and their numbers and their results, Nick, as you know, automatically change. You guys use the Quintic system? We don't use Quintech, but we use uh, Sam Putt Lab. And one of the biggest parts of our putting putter fitting is toe hang. It's, you know, for years we had things like we've, we've had different devices like camera systems. We've had all kinds of different little putting things. The one thing that I learned, and I don't know, it's probably going back 15 years ago when we went, we start, first started to use Science and Motion or Sam Putt Lab, was that rotation of the face and squaring at impact was so important. And when I found toe, marriaging toe hang with the person's rotation and how powerful that was to them making a you know making more putts we've been so that's actually you segued perfect it's one of the reasons why we've 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 loved the brand because the groove story is fantastic but the ability you guys have given us as club fitters and our 300 fitters around the around the country is the ability to take different head styles different different hosels that have different toe hangs. And now with the advent of being able to play around with the weights, I mean, it's a fully customizable putter for the same price, if not a better price than most putters on this, you know, a lot of put premium putters out there. And, you know, it's pretty awesome. That is self evolving uh, because of just, you know, when something's right, people go, well, I like that. And you go, Oh, really? Okay. Well, let's, let's do a little bit more of that. And it, and it kind of has a life of its own. But we, you know, we're still going to be, I'm still going to be true to, to making, you know, the classic putters that, that have the hosel as part of the head and all that stuff, you know, but, but this has, this has opened up uh, another level of customer satisfaction, I guess I should say, because it's before recently people didn't fit putters. I mean, it was like, 
you know, it's 40% of your score. And we had, I've had Julie Inkster in, a, in our studio. And Julie had a, had a, a an Odyssey two ball. And she was leaning back so that the putter would sit right. And I'm going, you know, I'm like, what are you doing? And she said, well, it, it just sits better this way. And I, and I, I, you know, I can, I can, I can roll it better. So why don't we adjust the putter for you instead of you adjusting yourself for the putter? A lot of times people just assume that a putter is like this immovable object and they have to, you know, they have to do what the putter tells them to do or try to make it work. No. Now what you guys do and what we are you know, we have 6,000 combinations. We have, you know, there's just a, there's hosels, the, uh, there's uh, club connects that we use uh, as well as to, to hook on different shafts, different grips, different links, different head weights, different hosels, different, all these things. When you get it right, it's amazing to see what happens to somebody. They go, wow. It just, all of a sudden they start to click and, but they never had that choice before. And that's what we've been doing. I mean, for us, putter fitting has been one of the things we've sold for 20 years. And, you know, people fight it all the time. And in fact, actually, what we did is Cassie can answer this better than me because I don't know how many years I lose track of years. But a bunch of years ago, we decided that, you know, we're still just having people trying to decide. Like, we'd have every fitter make sure, hey, when they come in for an iron fit, driver fit, you show them the putter fitting and how putter fitting works. We finally have made like a whole month out of it, putter fitting month in September, where we just blow it out. And we make everybody get their putter fit. And actually, even Roll's been uh, a sponsor in that for, uh, I believe, a couple of years as well with us. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. We do the same thing here. We have, well, we have your whole system, meaning the hosels and stuff. But then we we couple it with the fact that we have different shafts you can try and then different grips you can try. You know, we have the ability to bend anything to loft and lie. And so, you know, I'm with you. It's 40% of your game. It's the club you use on every hole. Uh, Most of the time, sometimes you chip in or hole out. But, uh, you know, it's it's if you're not having your putter fit or looked at, then you're leaving strokes on the table. There's no question about that. Well, there's an interesting statistic. I don't know if you're aware of it. You probably are. But if you look up um, and it, it varies from year to year. But if you look at uh, at the at the scoring average of uh, and, and you look at the PGA Tour, you look at the guy in 125th place trying to keep his card and the guy in 25th place playing in the FedEx cup, there's about $6 million difference between those two people. The stroke average per round for a hundred places from 125 to 25 is one. That's the difference. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> per round, per round, one stroke out of a hundred places. That's how good those guys are. And it's, it is crazy, but Where's the fastest place to improve to get that one stroke? Putting. And if they go to the, the – that's why they work so hard. You know, amateurs go out, put, make a few putts, and go to the first tee. Tour players, and if you – you know, we go out on tour, they're there for hours on the putting green, hours. And and they're, they're, they've got their coach, and they're doing drills, and they're working. And because when you're facing a, a $300,000, $400,000, $500,000 putt – you don't even feel your hands. I mean, you know, you're, you've got, you've got tingles going down both sides of your face, your fingers are the size of Bozo and and you have to go on remote. And so you have to have that, that strong foundation for making putts under pressure because it is so slow and because it is so 
microcosmic in terms of just little mistakes. The more you get fit, the more you get things dialed in, the better you're going to be. And you're going to pick up a stroke, another stroke, or three strokes if you're an amateur. So it's important. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's turn the tables to a little bit of a fun question here. What is in Garen Wright's golf bag today if he was to go out and play golf today? What golf clubs? I have 14 putters. And <laughs> uh, I, I had a peen driver, which I really liked, but I gave it uh, to my uh, my 85-year-old patent attorney who hit it 20 yards further. And, 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 and I just said, you got to have this, Nick. I mean, his name is Nick. But but uh, and so I gave him that. So now I'm a man without a without a driver. So I'm trying some new stuff now. So I'm that's up in the air. Uh, I'm looking at Titleist and, and uh, the new Aerojet from uh, Cobra. They're across the street from us here in Carlsbad. Um, and I'm looking at the the paradigm. Uh, I did I did hit the uh, I have tried some other ones uh, and I just haven't found the the magic bullet, uh, you know, I'm 71 now. So my swing speed is not, I'm not crushing the ball. So I need to, you know, have some reality attached to it. So I want something that jumps off the face. And I think that so far the ping and the, and there's one tailor made that's pretty good, uh, an older one. And then as far as the, as far as three woods and hy- hybrids, I'm using my product, the Telus, which I created. Um, the Telus driver is basically 13 degrees, the ball leaps up in the air. You can look it up, but it's a it's a killer club. You can hit it out of a divot, and that's my biggest thing. I make the divots, so I need to hit out of them as well. And I need and it just it's very forgiving. And then I have the hybrids, which I did. I did these with a guy named Jeff Sheets. You know Jeff? I do know Jeff. Yeah. So Jeff and I did a little project we call the Tealess Driver and the Tealess Hybrids. And uh, and we did never it. heard of these. They're still they're still a website. Interesting. Yeah, no, and they're awesome. And I, we the first time with the first promotion was with the Golf Channel with doing Nota Begay, but he was our spokesperson. And then uh, and then we did one recently with Martin Chuck out in uh, in Phoenix. And uh, and they're they're killer clubs. I mean, they're one. So that's my that's my metalwood selection. And then I have a Mizuno irons, Mizuno um, the hot metals, which. When you, you know, when you need distance, uh, which I do, that's what I use. You know, they, you can't adjust, you can't bend them as much as you know, they don't, you can't change the loft and lie more than one to two degrees, but I got them where I got them where they're tolerable and they, they hit the ball a long way. And I got graphite shafts. Uh, there's a lot of great technology these days. And then of course I have a, I have a Scotty Cameron putter and, um, <laughs> you guys aren't going to tell anybody, are you? No, uh, no I have. A, I, I actually go through. Like, I use a zero myself. Is that which one? You, I was going to say you got to have one in the in the arsenal you like using the most out of all your. Partners. I like the zero because the face forward technology it doesn't move and it's got the it's got the diagonal grip. I'll tell you about it. The the zero has pretty long history, actually. Not my zero, but. But the 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 history of of um, eliminating torque by putting the shaft at the center of mass it aims at the center of mass of the putter. But it means that well, okay, one of the original ones was uh, well, it was the Cushman bullseye. But the but the plop putter, remember that one? Yeah, the plop putter that aimed at that shaft went right at the center of mass. And then Bobby Grace did one back in 2005 where he aimed the shaft 
at the center of mass, but the shaft, it was a big, he uses, he uses amazing grace. So the shaft came back at an angle. So you had to kind of have a big forward press with your hands to hold on to it. Odyssey came up, no, no, Edel did, uh, did some, uh, uh, aim, aim the shaft at the, at the center of mass. Axis one does that by putting a big heavy hosel out in front of the face and then having the shaft, having the shaft aim at the face. So it's straight. It's what Justin Rose uses. The Odyssey backstrike had the shaft going back and aiming above the above the center of mass. There was the uh, the toe up was the next version, and uh, and then there was a uh, lab golf. They they have the uh, I forgot what it was called. Directed force. Directed force, right? That was that big big head with the T shaped thing, and. Um, and that aimed at the center of mass, except they got a grip from a guy named Chandler. He, he invented this grip uh, back in 2013 that had a diagonal hole running through it. So it started, the, the, the hole started here and went this way. So, but the grip aimed toward the face. So when you held it, you weren't like this. You were, your hands were aiming at the face of the butter. So that combination worked really well. So I have a gravity grip, you know, with the steel rod in the bottom that tells your hands where the bottom of the grip is. So the face, it helps you line the face. So I put the gravity grip on there with a die with the same diagonal hole in the, in the grip from the Chandler uh, product, but it has a, it has a, the steel rod in the bottom. And when you hold it, it aims toward the face, but the shaft of the zero aims just above the center of mass so that when you balance it on your finger, the face points forward. So I call it face forward. That's my marketing term. Instead of toe up or back strike or whatever, those all had the shaft slightly above the center of mass and aim at the middle. And so the zero uh, has zero head rotation. I put a zero on it with a line going through it. And you can also pick the ball up with it, but it, uh, with that zero, but then there's weights in all four corners. So that's a really unorthodox design it's out there, but it just, but that's the one I use. I love it because I, I just hit my lines. I do think it's funny that a couple of your designs have been based around being able to pick up the ball with the putter. Well, that that's ghost. That's personal because I have a bad back. So ah, there you go. Yeah, baby. It's awesome. So before we get to the A's and A's at the end of this, is there anything new or anything upcoming or what's the future of even roll uh, look like? I'm going to give everything a fresh look for next year. As far as the classics, they're getting kind of uh, redialed and, Looking at some new logo treatments, looking at, uh, at you know weights that go in, in all the putters, but they they're the same size and they go up to solid tungsten all the way down to hollow steel, and so that's five different weights, but they're all identical and they go throughout the line. And then um, you know we'll still have the we'll still have the V series to for the fitters, the midlock. You know I don't know if you know about that one, the midlock putters. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a what I did with that is I a grip that you turn sideways and and, and the maximum width allowed on a, on the butt of a grip is one point seven five inches and the shaft runs through one the 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 one side and the grip extends toward the toward your forearm so that it takes five degrees off of the shaft lane and because it's because it's it doesn't have to be perfectly up to your elbow and all that kind of stuff it's easy to sell at retail. So it, ha- it all, it's nothing more than a little forward press and go. So have a lot of 
a lot of fans of that one are picking up. And so we'll get more into expanding that line. It has a, a big offset hosel in it to put the ball back in a, in a better place in your stance. One of the problems of, of arm lock is that, you know, you're always fighting a pull because you're, you have to be so far ahead of it over here that your, your arm rotation is going to go around to your side. And so, so this takes all that out and it's very comfortable. Uh, so that's, so we'll expand that line a little bit more. I've got some, uh, I've got some new mallets uh, that I'm going to do. I think mallets are about 65% of putters these days. So I'm going to do some very elegant, beautiful new, uh, new designs. And I'm going to go some one piece putters where I just have, you know, the hosels part of the head, but this, we're still going to keep the V series, but we'll have the other ones, which will just be, you know, the classics. And then I'm going to be doing a high end beauty line to kind of go, go at Mr. Cameron to do something that's, I mean, he gets more forever than I get for a putter. So I'm not going to try to compete there, but it's super beautiful. And, and uh, it'll be the, the ones that we go straight to the tour with. And then we do a special run of the high-end ones, and then we eventually roll it into the line, either into the classics or into whatever. But it's always just doing, you know, I'll always love the art of putters because it it is nothing, it's hard to find something in our business that's a fresh cut piece of steel that's just, you know, right off of a a CAD, a CAD on a, on a machine. And it's just, it's, it's just impeccable and, you know, zero tolerance and it's just gorgeous. And then you grind and hand grind and polish. And that's, that's sort of the fun part of, of the, of the milled putter uh, offering that we do. You can get stuff in China and it's perfectly good, but you know, you can get a Timex or a Rolex, you know, it depends what, you know, what you want. You can get there in a, in a VW or a Bentley. I mean, <laughs> what do you want to arrive at? So uh, there's just a, there's just, it's just a higher level of quality and it and it's a certain pride you have when you're using it. Awesome. Well, Cassie, you want to go into yays and nays? Sure. Let's close it out strong. So I usually do golf topics first and then kind of fade into non-golf topics, but I'm going to reverse that this time since Garen actually already mentioned two of these topics. So the first one, Garen, yay or nay, Disney World. I used to work there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Um, uh, I was in the camp campground program. I, I um, escorted tour guides and uh, in the early days when it was first opening, and then I went back to school. But um, pretty amazing company. I'm not into the politics of recently, so I'll give them a I'll give them a a, a nay right now, but an A from before. So. Gotcha, Nick. So I'm a nay, but it's it's for a weird reason. Okay. So I've technically what they've built there is incredible and what they've, you know, whatever. And, you know, just the whole thing's incredible to me. And it's a great story of what Walt did there. Here's why I'm a nay. I have three kid children under the seven and under. Okay. I need to go to these places. I'm being begged to go to these places. I think, I think Cassie, you know me. I don't like lines. I don't like crowds. I don't really want to be in crowds and lines in a bunch of heat. And I'll give you a really weird one. And because now we're in Chicago festival time right now. I don't like to stand and eat. I don't want to be around, like, go get this stuff and eat. I want to sit down and have a meal and relax. Like, I don't want to, like, get my chorizo or not chorizo, whatever, a chinchiri. What, what are those things? The churros. Long, 
Yeah, whatever. Churros and we stand there eating. So I have these weird ticks of like, that's just not for me. Now, if you let me have the place to myself for the day, I would think it's probably awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we know that's well, not going to happen. So well, for me, it was a little because I knew where every hidden door was. And underneath the entire place is a, is a, is an underground world of, of hall of halls and wardrobe and people coming and going. And all the plants have a, a big cylinder in the ceiling and the plants are, are being fed from underneath water. I mean, it's phenomenal. But, and I tried to get a job there as a, as an Imagineer and I didn't, didn't get the job, but it was, uh, those are the people that figure out all the, all the magic that you go through when you go through a ride. So anyway, uh, but it's, it's, it's a cool place. I did advertising for them uh, when I first came from Lear Burnett down to Florida, but it's a, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big, big company that that's boy, they branched out. I don't even recognize them anymore. Yeah. They're huge now. I'm a big yay, but I want to preface this by saying I'm a, first of all, I don't have children. So when I'm going to these parks, my husband and I are going for our own amusement, not for the amusement of children. So we have a little more freedom, but first and foremost, I'm a universal studios person. So if you had to ask me which one, and I could never go to the other one, I would ditch Disney in a second because I'm a universal studios girl, but I do love Disney I'm setting the politics and all that stuff aside. I just, the, the rides are fun. There's a nostalgia factor. I only went once when I was a child, I was like seven. So unlike people who went every year and continued to build those memories, I have a very distinct like time and history for me where Disney is solidified. And when I go, it's like, oh, and I remember being, you know, a seven-year-old and thinking all this stuff was really cool, getting to meet the little mermaid and all that stuff. So big yay. But if I had kids, I would hate it. So. Well, I'm, a, I'm about, I've been holding off because the third one turns two here in a couple months. And I said, okay, we're about a year away from going, doing this. Ugh. I already told my wife, we're going to have to carry around like an AED or something because I'm going to have a stroke or a heart attack. Oh, because no. I mean, I just, I, I do not like lying. Sprain your, sprain your ankle. You'll get in a wheelchair. <laughs> and, be, and they put you at the front of the line and it's awesome. And everybody feels sorry for you. And it's <laughs> See, I got the insider track. I love my kids to death. I'm going to do it, but okay. it's gonna be painful for dad. That <laughs> sounds awful. <laughs> All right. Next topic. Uh, you actually just mentioned this one, Garen. So yay or nay, the Leo Burnett ad agency. Well, they're the biggest agency in the world now. Uh, it's called Interpublic Bottom. And uh, and they're an icon. Um, you know, Lear Burnett um, started profit sharing. Lear Burnett um, used to walk through the halls in the morning and you'd come into you come into work and there'd be something scribbled on your desk that he was looking at and he'd say something to you. Uh, I mean, I, I was there a long time ago. So and uh, it's it, it, it was uh, we, we were all in one building in Chicago, in Chicago. We were in the um, Prudential building and we had 450 creatives in one building. Uh, you know, we weren't different shops everywhere else, but it was a fascinating place to work. Um, I worked with John Hughes was my part was my uh, my immediate boss uh, at Lear Burnett. And, uh, you know, I, I was sat next to him while he wrote vacation on the plane going to New York to, to do our Philip Morris stuff. And he was also an editor at Lampoon. And, um, and so he, that's where vacation first showed up. He didn't, he didn't get to direct that one and produce it, but he wrote it. And then after that, he 
pretty much wrote and directed. He left Lear Burnett and, you know, the rest is history. He was Hall of Fame for all of his many movies. But, oh, uh, my gosh. He, but that, Lear Burnett had many people like that working, working there. All, all through the the Chicago guys, the Second City people, Shelley Long, and and all the different talents, uh, Guido Sarducci, you wouldn't remember that, but uh, Don Novello was his name. But there there were just so many so many great talents that came out of Lear Burnett, and it was a a, a place for yeah, and it trained you to it trained you to be customer oriented. Uh, you were, your presentation skills were great. You know, the competition with all these creatives was unbelievable and it was an incredible place. So that's a big yay for me. <laughs> Nick, what about you? Do you, or were you even familiar with them? Oh yeah. Well, I was a marketing major in college. Yeah. So, I mean, it was one of those places that people talked about. And obviously there's plenty of stories to come from actually one of our, um, one of my first investors, um, was a big executive there for many years too. So um, I don't know if you know her, Susan Basayo. I think she was after, I think Garen was probably there in like sometime in the eighties. And I think she was more late night, well, nineties, later nineties. They moved into a new building uh, on Wacker. I mean, they're on the, the, on, on the river, beautiful building. I, I left before they moved in and, uh, and they were bought by Interpublic that um, was a French company, but they it's one of those special agencies that everybody knows, you know, in the industry and it's a Chicago institution. Yeah, it really is. So yeah, I'm a yay. You're a yay. I'm also a yay. I have a love hate relationship with agencies. That was my, my marketing career prior to landing at club champion. Since I'm the director of marketing here, I came from the agency world actually worked very close with some of the people from Leo Burnett. We shared some clients in some cases and love them. But now that I'm here back on the client side of things, I just think things are more efficient when you do things in house, you just don't have as many resources, but, um, Leo Burnett is crazy. It, it, the reputation is crazy. And the fact that it's a Chicago born company is amazing. So I'm a huge yay. Okay. Now we have golf topics. We have three more Garen yay or nay golf clothing superstitions. So like Ricky Fowler wears orange on Sundays and Tiger wears red and so on. I think that I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a nay on that because uh, I I think it's, it it can be a curse when you get addicted to a color or something like that. And, and, uh, and, and it, it it just, it's, it's cute, but I think, you (laughs) you know, you got to move on, you know? So, um, but I mean, out there, little, little, there are certain things that, that where guys will carry a certain coin in a certain pocket. And that's, that's the ones that, that they really kind of clothing and stuff like that. It's just commercial and it's, yeah. you know, wear what's comfortable. And if somebody's paying you a lot of money to wear it, wear it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I would expect that if I'm paying somebody oodles of money like Nike, like Nike, but, uh, but anyway, so that's, uh, so I'm a nay on there. Nick. My marketing hat says that it's good because, you know, like, I think like, for example, I don't think it would have mattered for tiger. Although I think the mark, it does help on a marketing front, but like a guy like Ricky Fowler, you know, like his, that orange when he was younger, really put him on the radar of why, you know, one of the things, his image in general, I'm with Garen on the other part. It's like, 
yeah, whatever. But so I'm not a yay or nay. I don't know where I stand on this. I think from a marketing standpoint, because I've said this for a long time, the tour got to a lot of khaki wearing blue shirt, skinny guys. Like you couldn't tell one away from the other. Right. And, um, you know, when you have a little flavor in there, it helps, you know, viewers like myself kind of put some personality to the person. So I guess that's where I stand on why I don't want to dump on it completely. But it's also kind of if you're looking at it from a superstition kind of thing, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I So I actually am a yay, but a sort of so combined between what you two both just said. So from a marketing standpoint, sure, it helps Puma sell orange shirts and orange hats, whatever. That's fine. But for me. It's so if you want to dress up for Halloween as a football player, you wear their jersey. If you want to dress up as Tiger Woods for Halloween, you wear a red shirt and black pants. So it's effectively their uniform in a way that, like you just said, that kind of identifies them as like an individual. There's even a joke. I don't know if you guys have seen Parks and Rec, but there's a joke, a running joke throughout the show where Ron Swanson will come in dressed as Tiger Woods after something happens to him the night before. <laughs> so it's you recognize that though as Tiger Woods's uniform to a certain extent. So I I like it we're, for that we're reason. Wear the red shirt on the final day. That was his big It was his thing and he wears the black pants. Yeah. So I I like it for that reason, but I do think that it takes a special kind of personality to be able to pull that off. Like if Adam Scott who's basically just a wet noodle, like if he tried to do this and own a color, or own an outfit, nobody would care. You know, yeah. it takes a Tiger Woods, it takes a Ricky Fowler. So I, I like it for that reason, but you have to be the right kind of golfer. Nick and I have talked about this one, Garen. So fair warning, um, our listeners have heard our takes on this, but what is your take on aim point? Uh, I don't use it. Uh, I see people that do, if it works, if, if it works for them, uh, if it actually works, um, I mean, you can pretty much, a lot of people have enough, good enough instincts on the golf course. I would be willing to bet you that most guys can walk up there and hit the putt and they'll, and they'll hit their line and without even looking at it because their instincts, we used to, we, we joked about it. It was something that became known as the Helmstetter effect. And when you're out on the PGA tour and your bag around the putting green, trying to, you got all your putters laid out and the players are out there and you're hoping they'll come over and try one of your putters. And I can't tell you how many times and everybody out there will tell you this, a player will pick up the putter, look at a spot about 20 feet away and just drain it and then do another one and drain it and then do another one and drain it. And they'll go, huh, let me go try this. So they, so then they go and they try it and they get, they start lining everything up and getting serious and stuff. And I start missing everything and they bring it back to you and go, yeah, it's not for me. Uh, but, and so we, we joke about that as, uh, and it was actually something that Helmstetter who used to be with Callaway, right. Uh, he, he came up with the thought that it was nothing more than these guys, their instincts and their minds are uh, the, the brain is so, so sensitive that they can look at a, look at a hole and just hit the ball without a care in the world because they weren't worried about it going in and they would drain them one after another. And, and so the idea was to be able to train yourself to walk up, look at the hole and, and hit the putt and you'll make a lot more, but aim point is maybe a way to override the, the, you, you can't just do that if it's a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollar putt. So obviously, and, and one stroke makes a difference. It, it, I think it makes 
tense to, to put your feet on both sides of the line and see if you can, because your body can, uh, as far as the three fingers and two fingers and, you know, I don't know. I think that's, I, I don't, it doesn't work for me and I've never understood it. And uh, I'm pretty sharp about this stuff because it's my business. It's a, it's a yay for those who, who it works for. Yeah. It's a nay in terms of my, my feeling that it's, it's just a little time consuming and it's, um, and it's annoying. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on it. I'm a nay on that part, which watching people do it makes me cringe. And then, uh, you know, I've never gotten it to work for me. That being said, what I think it could be useful for is it's a ritual, right? And so it gets people like sometimes you need that little bit like, you know, when you shake, you know, shake your hands to get the jitters out of it right before, you know, or you, right, it's a ritual. People, yeah. People twist the club a couple times like Keegan Bradley or whatever, try to get them in the zone. I think there's that part could be useful. And I'm sure there's people that have found how they do it. I'm just not one of those people. I, I have gone and tried the class just to see what it was about. And it just, I couldn't get it consistently work for me, but. Yeah. It's weird. And it's time consuming. So I'm in day to be honest with you. I don't remember what my take was when we initially talked about this. So anybody who's binge listening to our podcast might just hear a wildly different response, but I, I, maybe it's crowd mentality, but I, I kind of think it's weird. And I feel like it almost feels like they're trying to find a cheat for reading greens and that's just, just read the green, like, you know, just hit the putt. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's the whole point of the health center thing. They they already know what it is. Right, right. You have a feel it, for it this. Gives them, it gives them time to kind of, you know, well, and they can blame it on something too. That's another <laughs> one. Uh, if, if, the, if the caddy's not, if you can't blame it on your caddy, then you can blame it on the aim point. You did everything and you were right and it's not your fault. So, yep. Got to got have a scapegoat. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And they can always say, I'm a good person. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, we have one more. We've talked about this a little bit already, but yay or nay, collector's edition putters. So things like Swag and Scotty Cameron, where they drop 10 of them and you're really not supposed to use them. You're just supposed to look at them. To each his own. If you're, if you're into collecting putters and want to pay a lot of money for it, um, you know, come see me. I'll, uh, I've got, I got plenty of them for you. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's my business. I mean, you know, how could I be, how could that be a nay? Um, Look, I said a while ago, Scotty Cameron gets more for a head cover than I get for a putter. So uh, if you can get away with that and if you're and if you're if you've built your marketing message to that level uh, and, you, you know, I think that's his genius is his marketing and his ability to 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 create. He's got Titleist behind him, but he's just done an impeccable job of creating a, a consistent image and being very creative in terms of the stuff that, he, that comes out with great style. I, I happen to know that he scours a lot of these old um, art deco type places and, and old places all over California. And, uh, and he collects a lot of things and he takes them back and he works at trying to blend. Stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, he works hard to do what he does. And so he, so he, if what he does gets, 500 bucks or a thousand bucks for a head cover, uh, that type of swag, more power to them. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'd love to be there. If I, if I said nay, that'd just be because I'm jealous. And <laughs> I'm, I'm just being bitchy. So, you know. <laughs> none of that. We can't have that on here. No, no. <laughs> no so. All right, Nick, what about you? Yay or nay collectors putters? Uh, I think they're cool. I don't do it. 
Um, people are always surprised by that. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm in the industry. I got, I'm, I have my hands and paws on so many cool things and access to so many things, but I'm not the kind of person that really sits around and collects things in general in life. I, I think some people would think it's weird that I'm a minimalist in some ways, but I kind of am. I want to have like something really nice that works and I use not really something that sits around and I stare at, like, that's just not my kind of thing. So yeah. I get it. So I'm neither a yay or nay because there's plenty of people that do and God bless them. And, you know, they can have a whole collection, but that's just not my thing. If you've got, if you've got enough money, do whatever the hell you want with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much the standard. I want to say nay, just because it feels to me like a putter should be functional, but ultimately I'm a yay, not because I do this, but because I can think of a few different themes or a few different designs of a putter that if I owned that design, not a chance I'm taking it out. I'm putting it on a shelf and I'm looking at it, right? So even though I have yet to do this, there is a world in which I would see a Tiffany blue putter that has like the white designs on, like that would never be played. I would put it on a shelf and I would look at it, right? So we make make one, we make a ladies line with Tiffany blue e-logo. And I love it. I'm here for anything Tiffany Blue. There's other there's other instances too, right? Like um, yeah. I initially designed with a, another putter friend in the industry, a Beetlejuice putter, which has like black and white stripes because I'm a big fan of Beetlejuice. Like those are putters that I love and I would love to own them, but I'm not going to take them out on a course and get them dirty. <laughs> so <Right. Yeah. laughs> I guess I'm a yay in theory, but not in practice. So. Thanks, Garen. Thanks for spending so much time with us. And we appreciate you guys. And we appreciate what Even Roll does and the fact that your um, putters are effectively designed for fitters. So thank you so much. Yep. You thanks, guys. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Fits with the Founder. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to support our show. And if you want more equipment content, follow the Club Champion and TXG content teams at TXG, a Club Champion brand on social media.